Real quick, today's message, um, if you're taking notes, which you hear me say every Sunday, best place to take notes is the church. Um, if you're taking notes, I want you to go ahead and title today's uh, message. And today's message is titled, here it is, very easy, it's titled Rest. R-E-S-T, Rest. You know, normally on an anniversary service, you would think that I would preach on, go get them, and attack, and let's conquer, and seven years on the mountain, seven, I don't know. But today, God put something in my heart, and it was to really to tell myself and to tell our church, you made it to seven years. Now watch this. Rest. But I want you to see what I mean by the word rest. You know, when I started to think about that word rest, and, 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 we, and I knew we were going to come and sing happy birthday, even blow out a cake and all that, I promised myself and I disciplined myself to do this. I don't want to be so churchy or so cliche um, with this number seven like so many other churches and organizations do because they, they turn seven. So let's talk about the number seven since we're seven. And then next year we'll talk about the number eight. And then we'll wait till one day we'll turn 12. 12 is a good message to preach on. And then 40, if God allows us to get there, we'll talk about the number 40 and what that means. But I didn't want to get so cliche on the number seven and, and what it means and, and, and how that is revelational to us or how it is prophesied to us. I wanted to be very careful in how I did that. But as I started to read the scriptures and study, I do want, without getting weird, I do want to talk about something that deals with the number seven. I want to talk about something and what it even means what it meant to God and what it means to new life, what it means to us as a body. And I won't be able to start this message without starting from in the beginning of the Bible. And it's found in the book of Genesis. And if you're taking notes, it's chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read our first passage of today. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, um, God is working hard in the beginning of Genesis. He's working hard. He's creating all things. And he's creating all things in how many days? In six days. He's creating all things in six days. You guys got churchy, you guys got cliche, and you guys got very weird on me. <laughs> Seven, no, six days, okay? I told you, let's not get so weird about that. But for six days, he created everything. All creation was created. Mankind, stars, sun, planet, trees, animals, water, all these things created within six days. But then something happens on the, yeah, on the seventh day. And on that seventh day, we see a part of him that is often ignored. It really is. It's not something that many people preach on. It actually has become a part of us that we too ignore. We ignore it within ourselves. I, I want to read the passage real quick. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And let's read the first three verses with me. If you're there, can, can you just give me an amen so I can make sure everyone's there with me? Amen. All right, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. This is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work 
which he had done, and he rested on this seventh day from all of his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. I, I wrote in my own little notes, what does that mean, sanctified? He made it hollow. Another word is, he made it holy. Okay? He sanctified it because in it, God, he, he rested from all his work which he had created and which he had made. Can anyone say amen? The word of the Lord. We see something amazing here in verses 2 and 3. It's emphasizing something. And what it's emphasizing is that God rested. Does everyone see that? It's very clear. God rested. And as I started to read this passage and I started to look at this word rest, and then I started to say, I mean, I always knew God rested on the seventh day. Everyone knows that if they're believers. But then I started to think, I said, here's God. He creates everything within six days, but on the seventh day, everything is finished. And he decides to do something special on that seventh day. And, and it's kind of like he decides to take a vacation. He decides just to rest. He decides to separate the seventh day from numbers one, two, three, four, five, and six. This day is different than all of the other days. And then I said, that's weird because is he not God? Is he tired? Could he not just zap energy right back into himself? Why would God ever need to rest from anything, during anything, after anything? He is God, is he not? Why is he resting on the seventh day? I, I read that, I'm like, it doesn't really make sense. It, he's God and yet he's resting. But as you continue to study this word rest, he really takes it serious. He literally takes the seventh day, this day of rest, so serious, he actually gives the children of Israel Ten Commandments. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay. He gives them Ten Commandments. And as he gives them Ten Commandments, he does something very weird again and very important to him. And what is it? The fourth commandment out of the ten is this. Number four is keep the Sabbath day holy remember to do that and i'm like why are you stressing this so much i'm going to read it to you it's actually found in exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 let's go ahead and read it together and and, and we'll get more of a, a foundation of, of god's heart here and and what he's dealing with when it comes to rest here it is exodus 20 starting in verse 8 says the fourth commandment out of the ten Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, you shall do all of your work, but on the seventh day, that is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughters, your male servants, your female servant, even your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, so if there's someone sleeping over your house, not even them. I don't care if belong to your household if they're under your roof not even them verse 11 for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and he hallowed it he made it holy he sanctified it look at the beginning of that of the first verse that i read remember remember the sabbath day Remember the Sabbath day, church. Keep it what? 
keep it holy. It's good. I, I read this passage and it's like, God is saying, I rested. So? So I'm telling you to rest. I rested so you rest now. I rested and I want to make sure that you find rest. I don't know about you, but when you read this, don't you get this? That God is literally telling us this. I purposely set a day apart for you to rest on. I purposely did this. I made it holy for you. I sanctified it for you. The, the Lord here is telling his people, listen, listen, Israel, you work hard for six days. You literally work hard. You're, you're out farming, you're plowing, you're planting, you're, you're out cutting and you're building, you're caring for livestock, on and on and on and on. You're doing all these things within six days. He's telling them. So I did something specifically just for you. I made the seventh day different. I made it holy. What he's saying is this. I set it apart. I, I took it away from the other six so that you can rest, so that you can refresh yourself, so that you can relieve yourself from the six days of labor that you just went through. Rest on the... Look at the person next to you. Just say, rest. And that's what God is saying. I made one day special. I want to continue to stress this rest because I want you to get it. Because once I make my point, if I don't stress it, you're not going to really get it the way I got it. In Leviticus chapter 25, God begins to instruct Moses. And in the book of Leviticus, he tells Moses, go ahead and tell the Israelites everything that I tell you. But do not forget to tell them what they need to do on the seventh year of one step to their promised land. Pretty much he's saying this. Moses, when the children of Israel enter the promised land, year number one, they're going to work and they're going to build in the promised land. Two, they're going to work and build. Three, four, five, and six, they're going to work and build and raise cattle and all that stuff. But I want you to teach them and tell them what I tell you because on the seventh year and every seventh from there, I want them to do something specific. Watch what he says. We're going to read... Leviticus 25, verse 1. Once you're there, give me an amen again. Leviticus 25, starting in verse 1. We ready? Here it is. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you've entered the land that I'm giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. Verse 3, for six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. Verse 4, but during the seventh year the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Look what he says. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from, their own, from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during the Sabbath. This applies to, look what he does again, your male, your female servants, your hired workers, temporary residents who live with you, verse 7, your livestock and the wild animals in your land, will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. Make sure everyone in the land takes serious the seventh day of rest. 
How many of you would agree that God is really stressing this day of rest called the Sabbath? My goodness. When I was in Israel, they still take it serious. One of the things that they tell you on Fridays is, anyone know? Any of my my Jewish people here? (laughs) Any of my Israelis know? Sabbat Salom. Okay? Have a peaceful Saturday. Have a peaceful Sabbath. And I read Leviticus, I read Genesis, I read the commandments, and here we have part of the reason why many people, away or away from those or other than those who practice Judaism, here we have certain people who still decide that the proper thing to do is to rest on a Saturday. I know people like that, and it's fine if that's what they want to do. And they rest on Saturdays, and they believe that nothing should be done on a Saturday, but to go to the Lord's house, to worship the Lord, to spend time with God's people. No one should work. No one should do anything. We should always keep the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, holy. And there's a lot of people that believe that. It's still practice today, and that's okay. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not here to... I don't want to do that. But then I want to go to the meat of today's message. I read in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And the writer gives some input, the author of Hebrews, something that is very important. I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And this is what the message is founded on. Here it is. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Everyone say, I thought it was here already. For all who've entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. This is New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. This is an author who we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. But look what he says. Verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, that's a very important verse right there, we will fall. There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Let us do our best to enter that rest. If we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. When you read chapters 1 through 4, and especially chapters four, chapter 4 of Hebrew, in these verses, he's speaking about two different groups of individuals, two different groups. I don't know if you caught it. The first group is the Israelites, because he says this, as the people of Israel did. So, so he's talking about the Israelites during the exodus from Egypt. That's what he's talking about there. But then there's another group who the author of Hebrews is writing this to, and the letter will be read to many churches, and that book of Hebrews will be shared till today. And that is the second group of individuals, which is not the Israelites that left Egypt in the exodus. The second group that the author of Hebrews is writing to here is the people of God. Listen to me now. It is basically the church of the writer's current day. It, just, it wasn't just the Jewish people. It was everyone that belonged to the house of God. When the author of Hebrews is writing this, he mentions the Jewish people leaving the exodus in Egypt, but he's also talking about a different, a distinct group of individuals that they should enter a rest, a rest that is waiting for the people of God. It's the church that he's talking about. 
And number two, he's referring to the children of Israel, the ones that disobeyed. When you read these passages in Hebrews, there's a good news that is spoken about here. There's a good news that is found in the Exodus. And it included God's promised deliverance from Egypt. The children of Israel were in Egypt, they were in bondage, but they left Egypt and then God formed a covenant with them. And in the covenant, he established with these people, the Hebrew people, and that was a hope of entering what is called the promised land. Anyone ever heard of this story? Good. And that's the first covenant that he makes with his people there. But then we see, as we look at the book of Hebrews, there is a second set of good news. And that good news is for the church. We here today celebrating seven years, listen to this, though we're not Jewish, though we're not from Israel, I'm not sure if anyone here is, if, if you are, we love you, we just went to and visited your land, but though we're not Jewish, though we're not from Israel, listen to this, we are still the church of God, amen. So the second set of good news is for the church. And it includes something totally different than the first set of good news, and it's this. It's the revelation, it's the deliverance that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is now no longer the old covenant, but come on, church. In the New Testament, it is considered our what? New covenant. And the author of Hebrews is stressing the new covenant. He has established this new covenant and we see in verses 1 through 4 that he's established it through a new high priest. Through a greater apostle or a greater prophet. One greater than Moses. And his name is Jesus Christ. Whom now we could have a new covenant with and a hope to enter eternity with him. All while not being Jews. How many of you could say that? So Hebrew 4 does something very special. He says this, there's a special rest waiting for God's people. Let us do our best to enter that rest. Don't disobey God like the people of Israel did, because you'll fall like they fell. What is Hebrews 4 really telling us, church? And here's my message today. Hebrews 4 is describing Jesus Christ as our rest. That's what it's doing. In verse 11 that I just read, he said, the writer of Hebrews says this, Enter that rest. What rest? A rest that is provided only by Christ. It's an amazing passage. He spends three chapters of Hebrews, one, two, and three. And he's telling the readers that Jesus, he's superior than the angels in these first three chapters. He's telling the reader that he is our new high priest. That we don't no longer need the, the priestly system, system like in the temple. Jesus Christ is our priest now. And then the author pleads with the reader, do not harden your heart against God. Like the fathers of Israel hardened their hearts against God in the wilderness. Because they had unbelief and God denied their generation access to the Holy Land. In Hebrews 3.11, he says, They shall not enter my rest because they were disobedient. That's amazing. So Hebrews begs the, re the reader and begs us new life here in 2014 this. 
Do not make the same mistake by rejecting God's Sabbath rest. Listen. The children of Israel did not receive rest because they were disobedient. The author of Hebrews says, don't be like the children of Israel of Exodus who because of disobedience could not receive their Sabbath rest. Do not make the mistake by rejecting this. Do not make the same mistake by rejecting God's Sabbath rest. And then I started to think about it and I started to say this. Wait a minute. God's Sabbath rest is no longer in a specific day, but it's now found in a specific person. And God's Sabbath rest is no longer on a Saturday, but the book of Hebrews tells us that it's in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then something happened as, as I read that and as I study because I always knew that. But now I'm plugging in scriptures one by one by one by one. I want to read another passage to make sure you understand this. It's, it's found in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 where we just read. He says, there is a special rest that is still waiting for the people. Do not disobey God. And, and, and when you see this, it's like, who is Hebrews talking to? Because He's basically telling the reader that there is no other Sabbath rest but this person who is Jesus. Listen now, that he alone satisfies, he alone fulfilled the requirements of the law. This is powerful when I'm about to tell you what I'm about to tell you in a few minutes. That Jesus Christ alone provided the sacrifice that atones for all of our sin. How many of you know that you're a sinner? How many of you know that it doesn't matter what you do on a Saturday, on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, you could get an offering and you could, I don't know, cut the lamb's head off and sprinkle blood on, on a sort of altar and you could do whatever you need to do. But how many of you know that in the Old Testament, when a lamb or a goat used to forgive you of your sins and a Sabbath you needed to keep it holy, how many of you know that there's no more power in a physical lamb or a goat or on a day called Saturday? That now the power and all the weight now is no longer on a lamb or on a goat or on a day. It is now in a person and his name is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what God is saying here. He provided the sacrifice. He atoned for your sin. He is God's plan, Jesus Christ, for us. To stop us, to cease from, from the labor of our own works. Because we've heard in this church so many times that none of our works could gain the salvation of Christ. So when Jesus comes as our Sabbath, I no longer have to work to earn his salvation. Because it's no longer found in an action or in a specific sacrifice or in a specific day. Jesus Christ fulfilled the sacrifice, fulfilled the day, and it's found in him. And I now could take the weight off trying to perform for God. Because he's already performed for me. God's already performed for me. And he has taken away our hard labor, our own works, and we find ourselves now reading the book of Hebrews, and he's basically telling us, dare not to reject this one and only way of salvation. Does Jesus not confirm that in John 14, 6? I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. If anyone wants to come to the Father, what? 
comes through me. Not through a day, not through a sacrifice, not through an offering. The Sabbath, Jesus says now, is me. I want to stress this a little bit more. Watch this, watch this. In the book of Numbers, chapter 15, chapter 15, if, if you take notes there, God reacts. And, and, and there's an individual who rejects God's plan of the Sabbath. I want to read it. I don't want to give it away. Look at verse 32. Numbers 15, 32. Get there. Watch this. He says this. It says, One day, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. The people who found him doing this took him before Moses. He was working, guys, on the Sabbath. Shame on him. They took him before Moses. They took him before Aaron. They took him before the rest of the council of the community, of the congregation of people. Look at verse 34. And they held him in custody. Guys, he was just stacking up wood. He was cold. He wanted to make a fire. Relax. He's working. The Sabbath day, you can't work. So they held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man must be put to death. God, you're taking this pretty serious. So the whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside. I, I, I truly praise God for the days that we live in today. Amen? <laughs> they took the man outside the camp and they stoned him to death. Guys, he was picking wood, sticks from the ground. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses. A man was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. In spite of God's commandment to cease from labor on the Sabbath, this sinner, this man who is considered a transgressor, a sinner, he commits a willful sin. I know that it's against God to pick up wood on a Sabbath day. And he does it with boldness. It's probably broad daylight. He doesn't care what anyone says about him. He's defiant. He's a rebel. He defies, uh, he, he rejects and disrespects the authority over his life in Moses and Aaron. And God of the Old Testament, Jehovah himself, tells Moses, the man will be surely be put to death. And then I read in Hebrews 2.3, listen to this verse that I'm about to share with you. It will be with everyone else living today who rejects God's provision for the Sabbath today. In Hebrews 2.3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Basically, what the book of Hebrews is telling us, it's telling us the same thing that the Old Testament scripture said. That man in Numbers 15 rejected the Sabbath day. And because he rejected the Sabbath, he was stoned to death. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, how can you escape? How can you neglect such a great salvation? What is he saying? That if you do the same thing that the man in Numbers did, if you reject the Sabbath, you as well, how were you able to escape that? Pretty much we all know that a rejection of Jesus Christ means hell. So I, I read this and I, and I thought about what Watchman Nee said in, in one of his quotes. He said this, Our lives, our lives, they rest. Okay? 
and, and, and our rest, or however you want to say it, our rest lies in looking to the Lord, not to ourselves. You see, the Old Testament Sabbath day, all that it was in the scriptures was this. It was a shadow and it was a finger that was pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. Basically, that Jesus Christ now and in the New Testament, it is the Sabbath. He alone is the Sabbath fulfilled. So as I make my point today, listen church, don't get me wrong. I, I truly believe that we still need to rest. I truly believe that we still need to get away for a little while. I believe that we need to lose our phones and lose our technologies. I truly believe that for some time. I think we need to get away by ourselves or with our families without disruption, disconnect. But the beauty of this message and the beauty of the book of Hebrews is this. Behind all of this is that it shows us that in our busy days in which we live in, days that today, how many of us could agree, are filled with anxiety, stress, depression, overperformance. We need to work more and buy less. And if we buy something, we pay more. Huh? We live in some funny days. That as we live in these days and as we live in these times in a city with our careers, with our activities that seem to be sucking the life out of us. How many of you have ever felt like that? I chose this career, but instead it's sucking the life out of me. I have this family, but instead it's sucking the life out of me. I, I have this activity that I know I love, but it's sucking the life. I've chosen to live here, but the life is being sucked out of me. And what a beautiful thing to hear in this passage today. That though my life might feel like it's being sucked out of me, I hear today that I can actually find rest. Because the truth is, I don't have time. How many of you have ever been here? I don't have time to take a day off. And ever been there? If I'm preaching to you today and say, hey, this upcoming week, take one day off. You're going to look at me and say, you're going to pay my bills? Sorry, keep working. If I tell you today, hey, this upcoming week, I want you to take five hours off and just get lost and, and find some trees and walk among the trees one day. Oh, really? You're going to cook dinner for the family? Sorry. And you're probably here today and you're saying, I don't have time to take a day off. I don't have time to rest. And if I have a day to do nothing, the truth is I have to catch up with everything else that I haven't done yet. So, so when I don't have to do nothing, I have to do everything else that I have not done yet. Come on, we, all, we live like that in Miami. <laughs> I can't rest because when I rest, I sit down on my couch and then I think, oh my God, I haven't done these 10 things yet. So I get back up and I got to do everything that I have not done yet while I'm trying to rest. It's, it's impossible. And then when you're trying to rest your mind, which is probably one of the most important things that needs to rest, it doesn't rest. Because you're sitting down, you're relaxing, you're listening to soothing music, and your mind is going off. And not even that rests. So don't tell me, Pastor Ego, that I have to rest and find a day of rest. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us live like this? But then there's good news. Because the good news is this. You don't need a day to rest. You should find one, but you don't need a day. Here it is. You need a person. His name is Jesus. Because even if in your day of rest, you don't have Jesus, you're still not going to rest. Your rest is not found in a vacation spot. Because sometimes, some of you could agree, some of our vacations are more stressful than not, and we need a vacation from our vacation. 
your stress, your rest, is not found in just disconnecting from your everyday circumstances. Your rest is found in connecting to Jesus Christ, your Lord. Why did you put this on the seventh year anniversary? Because this is who I want new life to be. Not a lazy church, but a church that rests in Jesus. For how long? For the next seven. Till we go to be in eternity with him. Seven years, and this is who I want us to become. A people that in all that we do, we live in his rest. One day Jesus was questioned. He was questioned by these over-religious men called Pharisees. Pharisees of his day. His disciples were rugged men. They were out in the fields one day and it was a Sabbath. Watch this. And they were picking grain on the Sabbath day. This is a true story. So these over-religious men called Pharisees, because this stuff exists, they come up to Jesus and they say this. They say, Jesus, guess what we just saw? And they begin to question him. We just saw your disciples and it's the Sabbath day and they're, you, you're the rabbi. They're supposed to keep this day holy. Why are they working, Jesus? According to the law of Moses, we got to do something about this. We're going to arrest them. We're going to stone them. We're going to do something about this, Jesus. You know what Jesus tells these religious men? In Mark 2, 27, here's what Jesus says. He says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's powerful. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. New life. What am I, what, what am I saying here? What I'm saying is this. This thing that Jesus, this thing that God stresses called the Sabbath, this day of rest, this thing that we've been talking about now for about 30 minutes, this rest, the Sabbath, it's actually... From the Old Testament, it was being prepared and it was being made and made just, specifically, just for you. The Sabbath was made for us. Well, what does that mean? That, that it's not anything else but Jesus Christ. He is my Sabbath. What do you mean? He is my rest. That He is for me. That now I can find rest in, in, in Him. Now, the question is not any of that because he's there he is your sabbath the question is this will you find rest in your sabbath which is jesus so so just as the sabbath was sanctified he was hollowed listen he was made holy or another word i could use is he was set apart the sabbath day was set apart for god's people well today in the same manner jesus was set apart for his people today jesus fulfills the sabbath what do you mean Today, Jesus is holy. Jesus is sanctified. Jesus is hallowed. Jesus is set apart for you. The Sabbath, Jesus Christ, is for you. And that's what Hebrews is telling us. And that's what God was preparing for us in the Old Testament. Augustine once said this, Thou hast created us for thyself, and our heart is not quiet until it rests in thee. And that's what Jesus is. The fulfillment of our rest is not that you work more. 
It's not that you take more vacations. It's not anything else but to find the quiet place. You meet Jesus and Jesus meets you. New life. Find rest. Because the only way that we'll make it for seven more years is if Jesus Christ is set apart as our Sabbath and as our rest. We'll never make it if Jesus is not our rest. And that's what it's saying here. Find rest. Find your Sabbath. Find Jesus. But I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with worry. I'm filled with sorrow. And my answer to you is, and he gives you rest. And he fulfills that. It's in Jesus Christ, your Lord. The book of Psalm deals with anxiety. In chapter 127, it deals with sorrow. It deals with worrying. And it deals with resting in your worry and resting in your anxiety, even in your sorrow. Look what it says as I get ready. I'm going to end. I'm going to read this passage and one more passage. And we are done as the worship team gets ready to come up. And look what it says here in verses 1 and 2. It says, if God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It almost rhymes, doesn't it? It is useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. I'm reading from a translation so you could grasp the simplicity of the words. Don't you know that he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Listen to the author of Psalms here. If God doesn't build your house, all you're going to build is a shack. If God doesn't guard your city, you might as well just go to sleep because it's not going to be guarded by you. It's useless for you to get up early to do everything you have to do. It's useless for you to go to bed late to finish all the work that you haven't done yet. It's useless to live your life worried about everything that is left unaccomplished. The way this translation says it is to work your worried hands, your worried fingers to the bone. And then it ends with this part. Don't you know that God enjoys giving rest to those he loves? When I read that passage, I see what God's telling me. Regal, you got to worry less. You got to stop thinking that by you doing more, it will be what completes you and make you feel more successful. Regal, you got to understand that your worry and your anxiety and even sorrow, there's nothing that you could do to accomplish those things. As a matter of fact, verse 2 says, do you not know that I enjoy giving rest to you? Because I love you. In another psalm in chapter 116, I want you to hear these words. The psalmist says this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. And he's heard my supplications. He has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surround me. And the pangs of show laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. There it is. And then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he has saved me. Look at verse 7. Return 
Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I want you to examine your heart for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. I want you not to be distracted. Don't be disrupted by any movement, by any noise. Right there where you are at, whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, as you meditate in your life, as you meditate on your heart, do you find yourself waiting for church on Sundays? Oh man, I hope the worship team is on point today. Because man, I, I really need a miracle in my life. Is that you? Oh man, I, I really hope Regal preaches a good message today because oh what a week I've gone through or because I brought someone and, and man I really hope he he really goes hard on that on a certain issue or whatever oh I, I can't wait for Sunday because I just I know that that's the day that I could go and I'm going to be refreshed and those are not bad things in itself but I want you to examine your heart. Maybe you're looking for your Sunday to be the answer to your problem. You're looking to a person or persons. But today God gives you a simple word. And the word is this. Your rest can be found in nothing else. Your answers will be found in nothing else other than the one who is the way, than the one who is the truth, the one who is life. It's found in Him, in Jesus. Church, listen, you can't perform any less anymore. You can't do anything else and add anything else to your resume. You could fast one more day if you want. Listen, church, fast for the whole year. But what good is fasting if it's not in Jesus? The only answer that we have as a church for seven more years is in the Sabbath. And it's not in the day of the Sabbath, but it's in the person who fulfills the Sabbath. And the only way that we've made it for these seven years, through these seven years, and the only way that I will make it through the rest of my life if it's I continue to find rest in my Lord, in Jesus Christ, the one who holds me together. Oh, my soul, find rest in Him, the one who has given me plenty. Find rest. Thank you, Lord, that we could find our rest in you. This is what I want to do. As we sing a song, and you are here today and you need this rest. You need this Jesus. Because you've been finding it in other things. In other ways. But today you've come to the realization that it's found in Jesus only. We're going to worship in song. And right there where you're at, the altar's open. Come up to the front if you want. But Jesus will touch you today. I want you to open up your hearts. If you want to stretch out your arms, stretch them out. 
But right there where you're at or whether you want to come up, I want you to tell the Lord, Lord, I do not reject the Sabbath today. I receive it. Jesus, you become my rest. Jesus, you become the answer to the anxiety, to the stress, to the worry. You become the hope in every hopeless situation that I have. I'm tired of trying to fix it on my own. Become it for me. So church, the altar's open. God's window, the windows of heaven are open. Let's worship our God. And right now in our time of worship, let him start becoming your rest. And let him transform life forever. Let's worship him together.